Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to welcome everybody to the Steve Dinks Mallard Report. Before we begin, if you have not been to Mallard.com, come on over. Uh, great stuff up there at the top. You've got the Duck Pond. If you have not joined the Duck Pond, you should. Um, that's the live show chat room. Amazing people. Waves hello to all of them. I see them filtering in. Uh, I'm starting late, so they're mad at me, which is, well, whatever. Um, the 24-hour stream, click play on that because that's, that, that's always going. And then the newsletter, which is where I've been doing some uh, updates uh, sporadically about some other things besides the show, which is probably where they're going to end up long term, which is good. But enough about me and enough about my website. My guest tonight is Chip Reichenfall. Chip is radio show host, author. What am I forgetting, Chip? T- fill me in here. Um, no, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> now, right, radio host, author, I, I do past life regression hypnosis, uh, and tarot readings too. Um, and I'm, uh, writing a screenplay that's going to be turned into a film in a couple of years, but that, I didn't put that in the bio. That's something new. That's something new. As I say, that, keeps, yeah. that sounds like you're a little busy. A little bit, you know, a little well, bit. Well, Let's talk about the book first before we get what keeps you busy all the time, because I know, okay. I, I know radio keeps you busy. Um, mm-hmm. Even the Dead Won't Tell You the Truth. Now, that's that's a great title, but what's the book about? Ah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting blend of, um, it's kind of a murder mystery, uh, but uh, from the perspective of the central character, who is a spirit medium. So it's a, it's... Instead of writing a nonfiction book about first-person perspectives of a spirit medium, I was like, it was about seven or eight years where I was really, really zoned in to that. And I asked a lot of tough questions. And, you know, being a radio host like you, Jim, <laughs> got to ask the dead these tough questions, right? But, you know, <laughs> get some very interesting answers. And, and, uh, but uh, in so instead of this uh, nonfiction thing that just about every medium has done in one form or another, I decided to spin it into like this murder mystery, where the central character, the spirit medium, has uh, 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 his best friend from high school. All right? They're they're about twenty five, thirty years past high school now. Uh, the best friend was never really into that talking to the dead stuff. It wasn't part of his comfort zone, but they were uh, really. Uh, best friends nonetheless but now all of a sudden he's been charged with the murder of an old high school girlfriend um who hasn't really been in town in a long time but the evidence is very damning against him circumstantial but very damning nonetheless and uh since she's now dead he appeals to our central character the spirit medium to see if he can connect with the murder victim in order to basically alibi uh, the best friend. Uh, and when that uh, initial connection is a little awry, uh, he has to ask himself and uh, the other professionals in the medium craft uh, to what extent the dead can lie to us. And that's hence the title, Even the Dead Won't Tell You the Truth. That's the short version of it. Is that... It's a page turner, you know. It's it's a relatively short read. I'm very proud of it. Uh, even the dead won't tell you the truth. You can find it on Amazon, including a Kindle version, um, and uh, from Row Publishing, R O W E. Uh, their site is rowpub.com, R O W E P U B, for Row Publishing. It's also Barnes and Noble, uh, and Amazon, and I think there's a Facebook page for it. If you think, I think, yeah, I know. I, I, you know, you think I'd be more on top of that stuff, but uh, yeah, there is a Facebook page for it. Um, But I don't, and there'll be links to the book from there. Even the dead won't tell you the truth on Facebook, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Ropub.com. Makes a great holiday gift. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yes, that now's the time, right? Right, right. Yeah, but it does add some. Uh, uh, well, I'd like to think interesting perspectives um, based on on really my kind of my thing in the paranormal realm, uh, which is uh, about looking at the kinder uh, sides and approaches to paranormal, uh, metaphysical, the psychic realms, the supernatural, extraterrestrial, and alternative healing rounds. Um, and uh, yes, I do have a, a radio show that speaks specifically to that. It's called Kindest Beyond the Veil. I have two live shows uh, on Monday, each on a different network. The show runs on two networks. Kindness Beyond the Veil, where we do. We take a, a look at the kinder sides of all of these realms. Uh, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on United Public Radio Network. They used to be the UFO Paranormal Network. Now they're called United Public Radio at UPRNTalkRadio.com. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern uh, live every Monday. And the Monday Night Show, which was on the Late Night in the Midlands Network, uh, WCETFM at LateNightInTheMidlands.com, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern for that. And then the uh, UPRN also plays the LMN archive of the Monday Show on Saturdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, same time as the Monday Live Show there at UPRNTalkRadio.com. And you so have that all written down in front of you, right? Because there's no way I'd remember that. No, I, I kind of, you know, I sleepwalk it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I also co-host a show twice a week with my friend Tim Roxbury. It's his show. It's called Supernatural Realm, uh, which I co-host. And that's on uh, the Late Night in the Midlands Network, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern um, live. So four live radio shows a week, and that's why I, I it's kind of cemented in my brain. <laughs> yeah. But the supernatural realm allows kind of a wider perspective because my show really focuses on the love-based side. You know, just like in life, there's a love-based side of life and a fear-based side of life. From all of it. So I don't think that there's really enough attention that's been put into the paranormal uh, or the psychic, uh, or the extraterrestrial realms, you know, uh, because, you know, love and fear, uh, you know, paint our canvas. So it should paint the canvas on the other side of the rainbow, too. Uh, so the, my show takes a, a really hearty look, really at the kinder side, the love-based side of uh, that focus of these realms. That's, that's one thing I appreciate about you, Chip, is... It's so often, it's so easy for everyone to say, I'm going to say it, Chip. I'm going to say that, that word. Demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? If we had a nickel for every show that was about demons, Chip, we could probably be on an island somewhere. Yeah. Well, it, I think fear sells, you know. Uh, look, I, and, you know, as much as I really love to focus on um, the benefits of being nice, you know, um, kindness, uh, compassion, benevolence, uh, generosity of spirit. Uh, I don't know to what extent I would watch a show weekly about those kind of things because we just tend to slow down uh, when we drive by that car accident, you know. <laughs> we have to slow down for it to see it. And, and fear. So I, I also found, you know, being in the realm 40 years this year now, um, that most of the people, maybe 98% of the people that are in the paranormal came into the realm from a place of fear. You know, something grabbed them when they were kids or, you know, uh, called out their name or scared them half to death or somebody that they loved. Uh, so they're really there to find answers from that fear-based lens. <clears throat> but I came into the realm from a love-based side of things. Um, and that was, yeah, 40 years ago, July, uh, if you will. Uh, I could I could tell you about that. Yeah, you... I was going to say, yeah. since we're there, let's go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See how easy I am. As yeah, a I know. Uh, you're, you're such, it's you're like such a, hard work. Yeah, Jim gets to be on autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, 
<laughs> and he was asking these, you know, you mentioned hard questions earlier. Yeah, go ahead, Chip. That, that, that'd be a great <laughs> yeah. story to tell right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but it was um, right before my 21st birthday. Uh, it was like 1979. So now everybody can figure out how old I am. But um, my best friend through childhood, you know, it's uh, we moved into the house where I grew up in, really, when I was two years old. Uh, first person I met uh, that was my age was my buddy Stephen. He lived right next door to us. He was next door and up the hill from us. And and really, we were like twins, you know, throughout uh, all of childhood. We never we never had a fight, you know, arguments. Sure, never a fight. Didn't matter who had more things or was better at kickball or baseball, you know. And we just kind of rolled with the flow. So really, in essence, my first soulmate, even though I was too young to know that at the time. Um, but yeah, a couple of weeks before my 21st birthday, he had been in an accident. Now, I was in upstate New York at the time. He was in Florida. Um, he was... Uh, basically brain dead when they brought him to the hospital and he was on a motorcycle late at night and this guy in this huge car like a Lincoln Continental you know uh, back in the day they, you know they were like the size of buses <laughs> I was say back in the day they made cars that you know a size that you could actually see yeah right you could live in with no problem <laughs> whatsoever uh, but this guy in a Lincoln Continental he was, he was drunk he ran a red light and and right into my buddy on the motorcycle really forced my buddy to get lodged head first into the window of that car. So he was brain dead when they brought him to the hospital. They basically kept him alive with respirators and stuff. So in essence, artificially. Um, and really waited for his parents to go from upstate New York all the way down to Florida eventually to basically unplug him. Right? And... <clears throat> I, I feel fortunate in saying that, you know, I this was my first experience with the death of somebody close to me. You know, to make it that far through life without something like that, I think is kind of a blessing. <clears throat> but he wasn't dead, you know. So for a first experience with the death of somebody close to you, they're not dead. Do you grieve? Do you not grieve? I mean, how do you feel about, you know, what do you do? How do you process that? And... um so, yeah, and I, on top of that, I was working two jobs, you know, and uh, very active. So, basically, the eve of my birthday eve, I went out to this swing set in my parents' backyard. It was this big swing set. Had a nice uh, bottle of Colt 45. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to process this, you know. I wanted to take some time and figure out how I how to feel about this stuff. People don't teach you how to grieve, you know. I mean, there's no lesson for it. There's no right or wrong way, which makes the grief process very frustrating for everyone, you know. Am I crying too much? Am I not crying enough? So anyway, the uh, the Colt 45 helped a little bit, I will say that. That was a, back in the day, that's all, you know, a quarter Colt 45 and you were good. <laughs> um, but... Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm sitting in, in on this swing set and hours go by, and uh, I'm I'm kind of coming to terms with how how I'm going to process this, you know, and then suddenly there was like this, and it's to this day it's hard to explain the swing next to me. There was like an energy there, if you will. I could sense it, you know, and I I wasn't psychic or wasn't like medium or didn't. You know, didn't think about ghosts or talking to dead or anything like that, you know. But there was something there, and it kind of caught me off guard. It wasn't unsettling. It just caught me off guard. And, you know, you, you squint and you look. And it's like that Predator movie, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one, where that, that, that thing is there but not there at the same time. It's kind of stealth. There's like this little outline of it. Uh, just like on, on this swing, there was an outline of a person. No details filled in. You could just tell it was human. Um, and kind of looked like uh, the way you see heat rising on a really hot day. You know, you can kind of see it, but not really. So it was barely visible, whatever this thing was. And again, not unsettled, but kind of curious now. I, I'm like, you know, somebody there, you know. 
And I heard his voice. It was him. It was my buddy, Stephen. <clears throat> and I, to this day, I still can't explain how I heard it. It's like I heard it in my head. You know, it wasn't like out loud. But I heard it in my head. And I had so many conversations in my head talking to him. What would I say to him if I had that opportunity? You know, you never really think about what you're going to say to people. What You know, if you have one last chance to... Because you're rarely, if ever, put into that situation, right? So I'm thinking what what I say to him in my head and all these conversations that I had in my head with him. It was still my inner dialogue talking for him, you know. Um, But this wasn't. This was different, you know. This was him because the things he said were things that I wouldn't have even imagined to think of in, in my wildest imaginings, you know. Basically, he said, yeah, you know, said it was him and that, A, he came to wish me a happy birthday because he knew it was right around the corner. We were very conscientious of each of other's birthdays throughout our life, you know. But he also said that he came to get my blessing. And I'm like, a blessing for what? And he said, well, I want to die and I came to get your blessing. Right? And I'm like, what What do you mean you want to die? <laughs> Uh, and he's like, well, look, and, and I will say this. He was a real independent kid, right? He ran away from home a bunch of times as a kid, not because he came from a broken home, uh, but he just wanted that, that will to independence, that freedom to make decisions on his own, you know, <laughs> without parents telling him how to think or what to uh, ask. You know, is there an occult revival going freedom. on? And I very often say, so this was, I guess, a kind of a plea for independence there. He said, look, I'm in this hospital bed, right? I can't think. I can't move. You know, I can't eat. They're feeding me through tubes. You know, they're, they're cleaning up after, you know, I go to the bathroom. They're bathing me. He said, there is nothing that uh, has been more emasculating you know, uh, make me feel more weak and pathetic than this. There are worse things than death, you know. Uh, so I choose death, and I came for your blessing. And even understanding him and his wealth to independence, I still tried to talk him out of it, you know. Say, come on, man, you know, they'll fix you. Science will come around with something. And he's like, no, it's too late. I'm brain dead. They can't fix it, you know. And I oh, you really, you hang in there, you know, strong survive and all that. And again, you know, no, I can't. I can't. He said, imagine coming to visit me down at this hospital in Florida. What would you say to me? Would you try to feed me something? Would you like shove a spoon of jello in my mouth and watch me choke to death because I can't do it? And, you know, but the more that he put me in his shoes in this conversation, the more I really come came to understand it, you know, because I was too busy trying to talk him out of it, you know, and it was just a plea for his survival, but he wasn't having it. But the more he put it in his perspective and allowed me to see the world from his shoes, that's when it really, really made sense. And once it made sense, you know, I I got really touched, you know. He came for me, you know. <laughs> He, he could have gone to doctors or nurses or parents or family or buddies of his down there. But no, he he came to me. He was with me asking for this blessing. And yeah, so I got really, really touched. And I kind of made that clear, you know. Okay, I get it now, Stephen. I get it, you know. I Boy, I really get it now. And, and thank you for asking me. Of course, I, I freely and fully give you my blessing, you know. I said, you know, maybe you could visit me, you know, like after. <laughs> and he, he said he would try, you know. Uh, but once he got the blessing, he again wished me the happy birthday, thanked me for that blessing, and poof, that energy on the swing next to me was gone, you know. There was like this kind of warm feeling that went with that connection that was gone, you know. It was like <clears throat> any enhanced energy of it at all was gone. And you could feel the emptiness in that moment. (laughs) And it really, really was resonating with me. Uh, About 
10, maybe 15 minutes later, my mother comes out of the house, walks all the way back to the swing set. It was far, far in the back of the line. I've known my mother all my life. She's never up at 3 in the morning, you know, but she she's not only up, but coming all the way out to the swing. And uh, she came to tell me that my uh, Stephen's parents uh, just called. Uh, they did the tough thing. They flew all the way down to Florida and unplugged their son. Uh, and they wanted me to be the first to know. And they said, okay, he died about 10 minutes ago. They wanted you to be the first to know. And I realized in that moment that I had audience with my childhood best friend, you know, my, my first real soulmate in life uh, at the moment of his death. And how do you process that? <laughs> but, I mean, that's not what people talk about when they talk about death, you know. Nobody's telling stories in 1979 about people, uh, you know, making appearances as, at the moment of their death from halfway across the country. Nobody talked about that. Nobody, you know. And uh, even further than that, I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't tell my parents about it. I couldn't tell my friends about it. You know, I couldn't tell people in my school and my church. I mean, anywhere. You just couldn't talk about that stuff. So when did you? When was the first time you talked about it? Um, I I heard. You know, like in high school, people uh, tell rumors about other people and stuff. I wasn't in high school anymore, but I knew that some people that dabbled in, like, uh, the psychic stuff or the witchcraft, you know. I had a couple of friends like that. They were very cool, and I talked to them about it, you know. And uh, they were kind of uh, amazed by it, you know, because even, even from their perspective, and, and stuff that they have dabbled in or read about or whatever. They never heard anything like that, you know, which was cool. But they also affirmed that, you know, yeah, not the kind of thing that you bring up, you know. It took me, actually, the, the sad part is it took me more than 10 years before I could tell his parents because they were very uh, traditional in their religion and they were extremely deep in their grief and they wouldn't have heard it. They wouldn't have heard it until some time had passed, some distance to this had passed. And even then, they were still, you know, in deep grief. But, yeah, over 10 years later was the first time I could even mention to them that they gave him exactly the thing that he wanted more than anything else, you know. And that hurts because you think of how easy that might make it for them to at least have that weight lifted, you know. Yeah, your son was with me when you pulled the plug on him. He came to basically, you know, almost beg me for his death. You gave him exactly what he wanted. This was the best gift, best loving act you could have ever done for him. You know? And even then they admitted that it's a good thing I waited this long <laughs> to tell them because they wouldn't they wouldn't have heard it. They wouldn't have heard it, you know. Um but yeah, that's that's what really got me into this field, you know, and to uh, ghosts and spirits or psychics or you know a- any of that sort of thing, the, the paranormal, the metaphysical. Um, but you know, my early experience was from a place of love, you know, not from a place of fear. This was not an unsettling experience; it was a beautiful one, you know. It would give me happy tears if I reflected on it. You know, for for years and years. Uh, my second encounter was with my wife's dad a year after he died from cancer, and he came to visit. Uh, that's kind of a uh, another a long story. But the point is, they were both really loving acts, right? There was nothing scary about them. It was beautiful and uh, very human, you know, very heartfelt, very honest, and so eventually when you, we started doing paranormal investigations and things of, of that nature, especially once computers came around, you know, big difference there. Before that, we had Polaroid camera and, you know, <laughs> you'd sit in a room literally and just sit there and wait like eight hours a day for like a door to open on its own or something, 
you know, and the place that had been established is haunted, you know, nearby. Um, you know, but when we started getting the, the, the better equipment, you know, or even analog stuff like uh, Radio Shack uh, memo recorders, you know, that you could carry with you and just record, you know, you might get voices at, at, at uh, like a haunted place or a cemetery or whatever, but you wouldn't know it until long after you left and <laughs> listen back to the tape, you know. But I have never had a negative encounter with spirit in the 40 years that I've been looking into this. Um, I, I think that's more luck than skill, but I also think approach has something to do with it. And everybody else is always, it's demonic, it's bad, it's malice, it's evil, you know. You do investigations with people and they, they walk into this space of negative energy, you know, like, uh, uh, you would think perhaps a, a spirit, um, that is carrying around its own suffering. And somebody walks through that energy, not realizing how intuitive they are, and says automatically, oh, I think there's something bad here. <laughs> you know, I mean, that automatically puts this void in any potential for an unconditional kind of communication should you have one. You know, it sets a, it sets a, a, a tone and a precedent. We see the TV shows, most of them, like you said, demon in the title, devil in the title, scared, haunting, you know, survivor. I mean, all these, you know, really fear-mongering wording in the titles and and they're taunting things and or they're running away from things or people who I know that had pretty interesting encounters got to tell their story on TV. But somebody in the production crew is like, OK, this time you run for your life. And it's like, what? That didn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, it. look, we can pick up somebody else's story. We don't have to film yours. OK, I'll run for my life. You know, I mean, you see these kind of things happen. You know, and in all the investigations and all the years of this, four decades now, you know, mostly on my own for the, the at least the first half of it, you know, and you come across psychics in the underground, you know, and they couldn't talk out loud about that stuff either. So it was like this little quiet network of people that helped you figure out who the good psychics are and the bad ones are. Uh, there's an awful lot of both, you know, who the good paranormalists are and the not so good ones are, you know. And the things that you see on TV where they're teaching really bad, um, it's a method, bad method. <laughs> and people see it on TV and they say, okay, this is how I should do it then, you know. No real research and we'll just go try to yell at people in spirit and try to, you know, so we could get something for our cameras and, and, uh, you know, that's just hasn't been my world. Uh, and I've had a very substantial world in both investigating and, and for a little while, as I said earlier, about seven years or so, really zooming in a, a, as a medium. And, yeah, not a negative encounter at all. And most of the malice that you see is either caused by the living people or misinterpreted as malice. And in the long run and in the overall, from all my experiences and all the different places that I've been with all the different teams or celebrities or whatever that I've been, it's the minority of cases, you know, that the evil, negative, nasty ones are, are a small percentage minority of these cases. And nobody's really talking about that. And that's what really propelled the show, you know, so to bring attention to... Yes, there are loving things that go on. There are compassionate things that go on, even in the darkest of realms. And it's, I, I think it's important for people to hear that because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's how I felt, too. You know? So it takes me, you know, you mentioned these stories. It takes me back to way back the day when I started my show. I wanted to cut a promo for my show, Chip. You're going to love this. Where a, guy call, where a guy calls into a, a, a company, right? Angel hunters, right? <laughs> What's your problem? My wife's cooking dinner, cleaning the house. It's spotless. I can't find any dirty spots anywhere. And so what's the problem? My kids are getting straight A's, <laughs> you know, just down the line. <laughs> Sir, what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. 
it it is like that. It it is. Oh, that, that yeah, that's funny, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be laughing over that for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> I know. I, I'm st- I've I've still never done it though. That's the problem. Like I, every once in a while, like I'll have you on and they'll come to me. But I should be, I should do this. You and should. Then, yeah. You know. Cause that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I I actually call it the Julia Roberts principle. Oddly enough. Because it's a line she said in, in Pretty Woman. And she's lying there in bed with Richard Gere and says, you know, I guess he asked her why she was in that particular line of work. And she says, it's just easier to believe the bad stuff about ourselves. You know, just easier to believe the bad stuff. And boy, that's a solid point in a kind of semi-fluffy movie. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a hooker with a heart of gold kind of movie. But it makes that point, you know. It's easier for us to believe the best. I used to help people make resumes, you know, in in a business setting. I also did it uh, in a nonprofit. Uh, I taught schizophrenics, uh, computer skills and vocational skills, and helped them with resumes too. But when you help people with resumes that and you really want them to do a good job, you have to force them to confront the fact that they're stellar at something that they've really made a difference, you know, where they've been. And people hate that. <laughs> oh, if I stay in this mode for too long, people will think I'm stuck up. Yeah, we don't care if you're stuck up. We just want you to get hired, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. We're going to have to talk about that because that's the hardest thing for me when it comes to pitching the show, right? Like, Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just my little show. What are you talking about? What do you mean it's yeah. been heard that many times around the world? Or, I mean, <laughs> literally. I mean, yeah, whatever. It's just my little show. It's pretty much the same show I did when I started. Yeah, but you're you're you know you're a you're a very humble guy, you know. And that's, that's what I'm saying. That's the problem, that's a right? Beautiful thing. No, <laughs> just the opposite. That's one of the well. reasons I I love you. I mean, I've been a, a follower of your show for years because of that humility, you know. Uh, because there's a tenderness to your approach, and you get really good information about people because of that. Because of the humility. Because of the tenderness. Because of the curiosity. You know. I mean, you know, I've. I've been a radio host uh, uh, for years, but you started before I did. So I, I used to use you as an example of how to do it right, you know. And that's oh, the thing. Chip, because stop, you, the ch- stop, Chip. Yeah. The check's in the mail. You don't have to go any further. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but look, from, from one host to another, because I, we, we have a lot of respect for each other's work, you know. But if you want to succeed in a field that you take on or a hobby that you take on, you know, something in hypnosis we used to call modeling, where you take somebody who has really excelled in that field, in that craft, in that art, in that hobby, in whatever it is, and you emulate the things that not only you saw that make them succeed, but what makes you about these people enthusiastic to try to emulate them or be like them. You know, it's modeling. If you want to do something well, you know, that's a really good way to go about it. You know, you and, make that other joke that that's why we're not models. We're on radio face. Radio. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got the face. Radio to you. My face scares small children, you know, uh, after a while, you know, the fortunate day, it doesn't matter for me. You know, I've been married for 32 years. You know, my wife is legally blind. And it makes you think, you know, the one woman who thought I was gorgeous enough to marry is, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you get to a certain age, it just doesn't matter anymore. Um, But, yeah, people just, it makes them so uncomfortable to have to take a glowing look at themselves. And it's unfortunate if you think about it, because it's that Julie Roberts principle. The bad stuff is always easier to... Uh, understand or hear or identify with. It is. Who was saying that? Somebody was saying that it's the hardest thing in the world to be is happy. Mm -hmm. Well, and people put their... Look, we have a lot of shows about that because we talk to a lot of alternative healers, uh, shaman, medicine men, you know, uh, some channelers, some uh, light workers, angel healers, I mean, all these different kinds of people that are are here to heal or here to help us to heal ourselves, you know. And there's some really good material out there or some really good people in that crowd. And, yeah, 
he, it's a hard thing because we don't put ourselves in that place. You have to think that every single cell in our bodies, every single cell, they found out, it was uh, Bruce Lipton who did the research uh, uh, about 10, 10, 15 years ago. Um, they discovered they, they were looking for the brain of a cell, any given cell in our bodies. And they thought it was the nucleus. But they found that it was the cellular wall. The wall was the brain. And in the wall of each cell are thousands of real tiny receptors. Some look for proteins and nutrients, you know. But others are fired off by emotional stimuli. Cells, simple cells, blood cells, any skin cell, muscle cells, cells, they all have thousands of receptors that pick up our emotional stimuli. So the more that we hold in our anger, our stress, our anxiety, sadness, you know, our fear, uh, the more it stores in every single cell in our bodies. And cells, you think, why is one a bone cell and why a muscle cell? Each one is pertinent to its own environment. It's almost a choice for these cells. They want to find an environment where they feel safe and secure. They can find proteins and nutrients, you know. And the more we overload them with this emotional stimuli, the more upset they get. And eventually, the body will shove this unresolved stuff into the weakest part of the body and take those cells or organs or whatever from a state of ease to a state of dis-ease or disease, you know. So uh, one really way, a good way to heal, especially in alternative structures or in indigenous principles, is to, to release stress and anger, <laughs> to find the roots of the things that trigger us into panic attacks or anxiety attacks or bouts of depression and find out what the root of those things are and fix it, you know. Um, because a lot of our beliefs, even some that make us instinctively uh, visceral about beliefs, weren't even ours to begin with. We're passed down from parents or friends or generations or social networks you know, and um, they were given to us before we were old enough to really understand them. Uh, so a lot of these beliefs that trigger us into uh, emotions, especially negative ones, aren't even ours to begin with. And there's a lot of really fascinating stuff, you know, all stemming really from ghosts and spirits into all this uh, um, because it's it's love versus fear, just like the paranormal. Um, healing, an alternative healing, very, really based on, you know, love versus fear. Yeah. I don't say hate because hate is, is, it stems from fear. You know, depression, anxiety, anger stems from fear. You know, uh, what kind of things stem from love? Right. You know, ease, <laughs> happiness, compassion, you know, uh, generosity, uh, inclusion. You know, and you watch enough media, uh, whether it's news or whether it's uh, drama shows or romances or comedies or whatever. Really, from the 1990s on, it got a lot more mean spirited. You know, the 80s stuff they thought was way too fluffy. And the 70s, too, even though 70s took a tough, a lot of tough looks at things in film. Uh, but they thought, you know, it's too fluffy and there's not enough truth. And then personal computers came out and internet came out and, you know, news networks found that if they don't tell you enough stuff, you'll find it on your own and you won't need them anymore. So they started telling you stuff. Now they tell you how to feel about stuff. They don't just give you stories, but how you should feel about those stories, how you should feel about them, depending on where you get your news from or not. It depends on how you feel about certain things. And then you can tailor your wants and needs to those networks, to whatever social media you're on, whatever kind of research that you do about subjects that you're interested in, now have so many different versions of everything that you can tailor what you learn. 
and what you decide to follow to your own liking. And we wonder why we are so divided now. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. Today it is ever easier to find yourself in a bubble of your choosing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're Twitter people. I mean, you follow who <laughs> you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't mean doesn't make us right, but we're addicted. We're never going anywhere. Sure, but but <laughs> there's an awful lot of information that is shoved down our throat because people are passionate about certain things, and now we have alternative facts or fake news, and you know that, that's 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 not a safe precedent for any community, any society to be guided by. You know, maybe I sound a little dinosaur by that. But look, you know, I mean, I I remember that, you know, yeah, I thought entertainment was too fluffy or every show had a moral to the story. And it's like, just shut up with that already. And, you know, every year became how cross that line just a little bit more. And we've gone so far over that line now (laughs) that there's really no coming back from it. And antiheroes are big. Or, you know, who are the the moral leaders? Who are the role models now? Superheroes are dying and trying to kill each other, for goodness sakes, you know? And not much messages of peace and sanctity, you know, or, or hope, you know? There, it's, it's much more profitable to scare people half to death with something. And make up different ways the world can end or you could die tomorrow, you know. Uh, and part of the concern, I think, with the paranormal, and, and we'll still, as you were talking about Twitter, I see a lot of people on Twitter whose life kind of sucks right now. And they are blaming a negative attachment or entity or demon uh, because their life sucks, you know. And there's a lot of that. And a lot of people in the paranormal who can take all the stuff that they've seen in the filter that they see it in and go, aha, that applies to my life now. The only reason I'm really not happy or healthy is because it's some invisible thing that is more powerful than I am. And they're giving their personal power away, you know, by their own choice. To something invisible, they're not really even sure exists. Says a forty-year-old ghost guy, right? <laughs> yeah, they're not even sure it exists, but they're giving their personal power away to this imaginary thing. Our personal power is our personal power. You know, people in trauma, people in crisis. You know, they can see counselors, they can see friends, family, loved ones. They can go to groups. They can talk to a lot of different people, but. The healing process does not start formally until it's they themselves that turn the switch. They themselves that make that decision. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to fight for my sanctity. You know, people don't understand. Go ahead. There's an interesting point in there, Chip, that you're making. I wanted to jump in because I think we're all, I want to get you steered that way a little bit. <laughs> the the social social media has taken out such a chunk of who we are as people. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. built these big air quotes here for people listening. Communities, <laughs> but, right? But right. are they really communities? No, mm-hmm. they're just people echo chambers. People saying the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Now look, now look. Chip's got an attachment. I can see it from here. Now he's possessed, <laughs> and now his head's spinning around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah. because we're all it hurts know, a lot saved. more than it used to. I'm I'm old now, spinning my head around 360. Yeah, it hurts more than it used to. Just saying. <laughs> but, but with you know, because now we're in that group and we see that and we see that from somebody. So when the leader is mm-hmm. when the leader is doing it, mm-hmm. what the, what does the flock do? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. there it goes. Yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, I I I. I I had a couple of radio shows that I did, three or four, really, before this one, the Kindness Beyond the Veil shows that I'm doing now. And I wasn't planning to come back to radio. You were around when I left. Uh, I, I think, Yeah. And, and uh, well, you've been around really the whole time. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. I, I love you. Oh, 
Let me teach um, you, but don't remind me I've been around the whole time, okay? <laughs> well, you know, but that's a beautiful thing, though, you know. I mean, that that kind of thing it should be decorated, you know, uh, not shunned. It, it's wild how years of experience doesn't mean the same thing that used to uh, 10 or 20 years ago, you know. But the thing is, I walked around and saw people with their heads down, walking around with their heads down, not because they are buried in their phones, even though that's part of it, but they're unsettled, balance, you know, they don't know what the truth is anymore, they don't know who they can go to for help or hope, because people are so quick to scare them, you know, into submission, fear is control, but fear is fantasy, fear is fiction, fear is something based on something that maybe might happen, and forces you to go into a place where you thoroughly believe it will happen or could happen. And that makes it real, as real as anything else, you know, where it doesn't have to be that way. And it really concerns me when people who are sick, who have chronic illnesses or anxieties and depressions, you know, are taking on this whole, oh, it must be an attachment. That's the reason my life isn't going well. It's nothing that I've been doing. It's not me, you know. It's Satan, <laughs> you know. Um, and I had to start that Kindness Beyond the Veil show so I could say, look, even in the worlds of the unknown, the mysterious, the dark, loving things happen, compassionate things happen, beautiful acts occur, you know. And the odd thing is people go, yeah. That's what I thought, you know. Nobody on TV is telling me that, but they are. I, that's what I see. It's not just me then. And it, it's kind of a weird way to make kindness interesting <laughs> and uh, a weird way to help people see that they can be in a more happy place. And that's when we can show them, like you mentioned earlier, we've put a lot of conditions on our happiness. When we're happy, we always go, well, I'm happy, but <laughs> yeah, I could have more money, you know, or I could have Jesse's girl. <laughs> I could, the more, 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 and the I want, I want, I want, you know, um, because it, if you find true happiness, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter, you know, when you're in a zone, when you found your place within yourself first, but within your community or the rest of the world or whatever, you know, there's less conditions and more joy. And it's as easy as a conscious choice, but it also happens in the afterlife world, you know, uh, in, in the extraterrestrial and UFO worlds and in the psychic worlds, you know, all these places where there is so much uh, fear thrown upon us by what could possibly happen. Um, you know, love happens too. And uh, it really fills in the craft. It fills in uh, a, a fuller picture of the realm. Because it's not all about demons and malice and negative stuff. Now, I've come across a lot of earthbound spirits, both in paranormal settings or in mediumistic settings. But it's their suffering. It's not personal to you. They're in pain. They're carrying themselves in pain. Whatever keeping them from the light is their business. It's not yours. It's not personal to you. And if you wallow in this, yet you know, there is energy in that, both in spirit and in living people's homes. Some places you can walk into and know right away there's something off. Or, wow, this feels peaceful, you know. Uh, we might not uh, conscientiously pay a lot of attention to that, but there's something that we just know or understand. There's a reason why you can stand next to somebody in a bus and say, oh, I got a bad feeling about this person. Something's off here. Or you can stand next to somebody and go, wow, that guy's glowing. I wish I could be more like that. You know, Wonder what their secret is. Yeah, because we do carry that stuff around. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to ask you, you brought you kind of referenced this going for your 
when we were ta- you were talking about me and my show and the hobby and the, the well, let's follow me for a second there, Chip, because sure. um, at one time, yes, it, it probably started as a hobby and then it became a passion and then there for a brief while I looked at it more as a business. You know, there's it goes through these different phases and you've had different mm-hmm. phases. Mm-hmm. And so I sit here trying to think, you know, while I was listening to you, I, I scribbled those words down. And I'm like, so where is it today, right? Because you're in a different place today than when I first met you, and I'm in a different place today. So I, the best I could come up with for my show, I, it's art hyphen work, not one word, but two. Because there's the work that goes into it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The oh, yeah. Oh, producing, yes. the promoting, yeah. the you know actual yeah. function stuff. But there's it's art, not like Art Bell, the art of talk. He, <laughs> he was the master of that. He paints a different picture than I paint, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there's still this, this, this art form mm-hmm. of interviewing, and the live stuff is great, right? It's, it's, that's what we all do all the extra, all the work for. So mm-hmm. how do you, how, I mean, you do four. four. Mm-hmm. I think you're insane, but anyways, we'll get to back I to am. that the insanity part here in a minute. I wear my insanity with a badge of honor, brother. So how, how do you see it right now? How do you see your, your yourself doing a show right now? For, for me right now, uh, it's a duty. I feel duty-bound to do it. And the, the difference between, well, I, I co-host a show. That requires very little preparation for me because I'm the co-host. I'm not the host, you know. So the host should be the water carrier, right? Um, so as long as I know enough about the guest to know, um, you know, sometimes, and when you prepare for interviews, like I do, sometimes you read uh, the books or, you you know, you uh, if they have videos, you watch videos, you study the people so you know kind of what to ask them, especially if they're really well-known. Or sometimes you look at their body of work, as extensive as it may or may not be, and say, maybe today I'm better off just going in blind. So I can be at the same level as a listener who doesn't know anything at all about this person, you know. And there are two different approaches, you know, but they're both really valid. You know, sometimes you study somebody well enough where you could ask them really, really deep questions that nobody else would because you're familiar enough with the body of their work and uh, some of the questions that they've had before or some of the questions you assume other radio hosts will always ask, how did you first get started, you know? (laughs) If I can do a show without having to ask that, you know, even in disguised form, you know, I'm patting myself on the back for that one, you know, but you... You know, we're doing it with the listeners in mind, and we we want to share the the thrill with them. My, because of the a the subject matter, the kindness beyond the veil. Because I I feel, and I've been in this realm long enough, and at the Paracons, you know, both as a guest and a lecturer, or you know, uh, had my tables or whatever. You, you're in this industry long enough to to know the difference um, between what kind of information you could ask them that maybe nobody else would, you know, or how to make the typical question more interesting. And, you know, that's a, that is an art form. Um, but you, you know what I mean? There are really two different approaches. The, the, the kindness beyond the veil show sucks the life out of me. I put all week into these things. I, I do introductory segments, you know, where I talk about the, you know, the guest and the guest background, but I also tried to in, uh, influx some history or some poetry or something where we can speak in honor of the history of our ancestors and make this uh, latter-day topical to bring more culture in, you know. So it's a lot of work, but the interview is the thing, you know, and what approach you take is different. But I really, this show is a duty for me because I was seeing all these unsettled people, you know, when I went out, walk about, you know, uh, malls or streets or whatever, and you could just see the general communal type of unsettled feeling there, you know. Um, People wanted to look up. They wanted somebody to say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, hey, yes, there are reasons to hope. Well, there are reasons to think that we could help our community, our listenership, 
uh, and our circle of friends that are guests uh, look to making this a better world, leaving a better legacy behind for ourselves, trying to reach a point where we can be our best selves. You know, you learn a lot of wild things from talking to dead people about life, you know, that you, uh, you know, most living people don't have to put themselves in that state of mind to do that in the first place, you know, and it's a, it's a very wily kind of predicament to be in, you know, to have to be in that place where you're talking willingly to dead people and learning a lot about life from that. You know, uh, and that's some extra information that we could pass on to demystify, but still have some beautiful or romantic mystique to these realms. But at the end of the day, at the end of my two hours, people, you know, we haven't scared them. We haven't forced them to feel anxiety, uh, unsettlement, you know. It's two hours, even though we're talking about demons and angels and ghosts and extraterrestrials and things of that nature. People have been abducted and things like that. But people have been abducted and got past it. And how did they get past it? How do they feel now that they got past it? Now they feel they would rather have that negative experience because they wouldn't be as spiritual now. They wouldn't have to be so not afraid to die, not afraid to take risks or chances without that, you know. Every curse is a blessing in disguise. And so when you're in a field where curses are kind of a everyday kind of conversation, even though they don't have to be, it's easier to find that you can settle hearts and minds, that you can have people be more excited about their own lives, their own place in the world to to have the hope that they can make a difference you know do something anything to add to their legacy so uh, decades from now after they're gone there'll be something to remember them for or by and what will that be and why shouldn't it be something amazing why can't each and all of us be amazing you know to understand the power of our own intent nobody tells us about that because it's too phenomenal. Even if we really knew the power of our own intent, we wouldn't believe it. You know, but we can have faith in it. Uh, so yeah, it's really taking these realms and not only educating people by finding the best possible minds and hearts of the industry and sharing them with a listenership that's, that's eager, you know without scaring anybody for two hours. You know, I feel duty-bound to do that. It's the only way, perhaps, I'll be able to make a difference, you know, in a way that it's not about me either, you know. I never have a guest that I'm, it's just somebody that wants to be on the show. It's always somebody whose thoughts, work, or opinions have changed the way that I've seen these realms, changed the way I looked at that world and this world, so every single person I have on is a personal hero of mine, and it's about them. And I can use my art to extract the best information I possibly could out of them for the beloved listenership. So, Chip, we've got two minutes left. Can you oh, do we? Really? Can you believe <laughs> <Yeah>. that? Al, <laughs> he, he no. told me he told me I could go shopping early. I didn't quite believe you could that. Have. But, yeah. but yeah. Um, give me that rundown about the shows again and where people could find you. All right, yeah, Kindness Beyond the Veil. I have two live shows. It runs on two networks. Uh, it's played on both networks all sorts of times. But the live shows are both on Monday. Uh, the first show, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, is on United Public Radio Network. It's formerly the UFO Paranormal Network at UPRNTalkRadio.com. And it's simulcast on YouTube on the United Public Radio YouTube channel. That's Mondays from 2 to 4 for Kindness Beyond the Veil there. Uh, Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on the Late Night in the Midlands radio network, LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Kindness Beyond the Veil, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern there. Uh, there's rebroadcasts, and, and both networks play the archives and that. Uh, and I also co-host a show called Supernatural Realm, which is also on Late Night in the Midlands. Also, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, but Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
So Mondays for Kindness Beyond the Veil, Tuesdays and Thursdays, all 7 to 9 p.m., uh, Tuesday and Thursday for Supernatural Realm, which I co-host with Tim Roxbury, and we, we take a broader look at the entire spectrum instead of just that uh, focus on kindness. Well, Chip, I want to thank you for joining me. As I look at that clock, it's going to we'll just be out of time here. But I, I want to fa- I want to thank the live people in my chat room: uh, Germantown Runner, Maury, uh, WR250, Brian Bowden. I think I missed somebody along the line, but I want to thank everybody. I wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, including Chip, as he's uh, still here. Yeah, um, you all, you too, brother, and you all too, listen. And if you haven't subscribed to the Mauer Report or Beyond, I'll be honest, uh, kindness. Uh, <laughs> Totally forgot Chip's show's name right now as we're running out of time. Kindness, kindness beyond the way. It's more. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.